Um, anybody familiar with the name Edward Jenner? Anybody know? All right, has anyone in here ever had a vaccine? Show of hands. That's the guy. He created the very first vaccine in 1796. The very first vaccine was created by him. All right, show of hands. Anybody ever heard of John Alcock or Albert Brown? All right, uh, nobody? So these are the first people who proved that transatlantic flights were, were possible. And so they took a, this was back in 19, let me, see, let me make sure I get the date right. Yeah, 19, I don't have the date written down, that's funny. Okay, so <laughs> 1910, something like that, I think it's 1910. So they go and they fly from, from Newfoundland and they actually crash land, funny enough, in the Connemara in a bog. And so they took a 16-hour flight. It took them 16 hours to, tell, to travel 1,900 miles, and they proved that transatlantic flight was, was available. Anybody ever heard of Niles Boykin? Nobody? Okay. Uh, so this guy, he worked for Volvo. Back in 1958, he created this thing called the seatbelt. There's no way to estimate the amount of lives that this guy has saved. Does anybody know Philo Farnsworth? Anybody watch TV last week? You have him to thank for it. So he's the guy who learned how to transmit picture from, from the air, through the air to a picture screen. And so he's that guy. Here's, here's the final one, James Harrison. Anybody know who James Harrison is? All right. So James Harrison is known, he has a nickname called the Golden Arm. And that's because he donates blood. And he has a very specific type of blood that is in his blood is an antibody that protects the, a, a disease called rhesus disease in un, un, unborn children. And he has given blood 1,176 different times, which is a, a Guinness Book World Record. It's estimated that his blood has saved 2.4 million children. That's a lot of people. We don't know his name. We have no clue who he is, or has anybody ever flown across an ocean? Of course we have. Like, we don't know their names, and so I just found it really fascinating as I was reading these people. If, if it wasn't for the Google, I would have had no idea who these people were. Like, if it wasn't for Google and it wasn't this article, I'd have no clue who these people were. They have made their mark on history, but they're very, they're very unknown. Like, we don't really know them very well, right? And they've, they've done some incredible things, but it was, never, it was never about them. And if there were ever some people in the Bible who did something incredible, who seemed very unlikely, it would have to be Mary and Joseph. Like, I just want us to think about this for just a second. Like, put yourself in God's shoes for a minute. If you were going to send your son into the world and you were going to hand select the parents of that child, like, just start thinking, what are the few, what are a few requirements that you would have? Like, I got to be honest, if I'm God, I'm thinking, okay, middle class family, of course, King Jesus, is, he's going to have to have his own bedroom. Like, not be born in, like, a, with some animals. Like, he's going to have his own room. Maybe, maybe have you, you know, a private education. We won't send him to public school, but make sure, like, they can afford private school, like, a little better education. Like, these are maybe some of the things that I would be thinking if I'm God. Maybe, okay, this family that's a little notorious, it has a good reputation. People know, and so when this son is born, there's going to be a bit of a celebration. Like, may, if I was God, that's probably some things that I'm thinking. Maybe, maybe you as well. I'm probably not thinking a teenage girl and a, and a carpenter who live in this obscure village. But that's who Jesus, that's who God chooses, to be the, the earthly parents of Jesus. And as we walk through the story of Mary and Joseph, like, there's not a ton that we know about them. 
We know a few little things. Like we know they, they, where they've been and they, we know kind of where their lives are like when they, when they hear about Jesus. But if we look about Mary and Joseph, one of the things that I find really significant, one of the details that we know about them is they're actually extremely poor people. And as we read about this in, in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus is born, Jesus is presented in the temple. So this was a requirement from the Levitical law where the firstborn son would be presented in the temple. On the eighth day, he would be circumcised. And so they go to do that. And when, according to the Levitical law in Leviticus chapter 12, what would have had to happen is there would have been a sacrifice that would have been made in honor of the child. And so we find in Leviticus 12 that it's to be either a sacrificial lamb or two turtle doves or two young pigeons. We see in Luke 2 that they offer two turtle doves or two pigeons. The cost for that in that, that economy is about 20 cents. A sacrificial lamb would have cost about 10 euro. Don't miss the irony with these people. They cannot afford a sacrificial lamb for the sacrificial lamb. Like that's, the, that's where these people are. This is the kind of people that Mary and Joseph are. And so why, as we see their stories, as we see them, like why are these the people that God chooses? Why are these the people that God says, yeah, the, those are the ones who are going to be highly favored. Those are the ones who are going to bring my child into the world. These are the ones who are going to raise him. And I think the story, it helps us to see that God sees things differently. That God's economy is different than our economy. That he values things that are different than what we value. And as we walk through this Mary and Joseph story, I think it's really helpful for us. To, it helps us to fix our eyes and see the way that God begins to see things differently. The way that God cares about things differently. I don't know if you guys ever did this as a kid, maybe even as an adult. Have you ever taken somebody's glasses and put them on? Especially someone who was like really bad eyesight. Anybody ever do that? Like you go and you put those on and your first response is, wow, you're blind. Like it's almost like you're putting on a pair of binoculars that are super blurry. And like you guys ever do that? And like you, you can't really see anything, but you start to get a picture of like what their life would be like. Like you start to get a picture of what it must be like when you wake up in the morning and you're trying to find your glasses. You can't see anything. And, and so this is kind of what this story, it gives us a chance to do. It helps us to see the way God sees things. And so one of the things we constantly need to do is we need to continually realign our hearts with God's heart. This is what we need to do. I think one of the reasons was so important that we pray the Lord's Prayer is that's what we're doing. We're realigning our heart with the things that God cares about. We're realigning, we're praying the things that Jesus cares about. And so this is what this story gives us a chance to do. It gives us a chance to align our hearts with the things that, that God cares about the things that, that he cares for. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to hopefully answer the question, or at least scratch the surface as to, to why Mary and Joseph. At the very least, what we're going to do is we're going to see some ways in which we can, can be used by God. Some, some things that need to be in place so that we can be used by God. So as I said, we're going to be in Matthew 1 and Luke 1. So as you read through the book of Matthew, you're going to see that Matthew focuses in on, on Joseph and Jesus. Whereas Luke, he focuses in on Mary and Jesus. And so when we put these stories together, we put these two gospels beside each other, we begin to start seeing a bigger picture that we can see the, the story. And so one of the very first things that we see in the lives of Mary and Joseph that I think is prevalent for the reason that God chose them and it's important for us is, is there has to have been a foundation of faith and trust before this moment. Like the only way that this story makes sense 
is if there was a deep-seated belief in who God was already for them. So let's flip to, to Luke 1, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Here's, here's how the story begins. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, the village of Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. If we stop there, everything seems pretty good. Mary's in good place. Painless so far, right? But it continues. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you, are called, you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the God Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, little, little important detail, how can this happen? I am a virgin. So we see the, the introduction of this story. One of the things I think is significant that we see with Mary is Mary is disturbed. You guys catch that word? Remember with another guy last week who was disturbed? So we see this with King Herod. King Herod was disturbed. Mary is disturbed. Now the Greek word is a little bit different, but the root of both of these words is troubled. That's the heart of this, and both of them are troubled. And see the way things go differently. Herod, in his, when he is disturbed, he comes up with this terrible, violent plan to have the babies wiped out. That's what Herod decides to do when he is disturbed. Mary, what does she do? She leans into God. She leans into the angel. She starts asking some questions. She asks for wisdom. She asks for guidance. She asks for an explanation. And I think it's helpful for us in the, when we're disturbed is lean into God, lean into his word, lean into him. That is a really wise choice. And Mary, the angel shows up and he says, Mary, you're going to give birth to a son. And Mary, here's the thing, like she doesn't have a box for what she's being told. And I think sometimes when we read the Bible, when we read about some of the things that people believe. There's this, there's this thought like, well, we're more educated than they were. Like science and technology has evolved so much. Like we know a bit more. Well, here's the thing. In Mary's day and in our day, like virgins did not get pregnant. This was not a thing, thing that happened, right? And so Mary, obviously she's confused. Obviously, like she doesn't have a box to put this in. Her parents have sat her down and they had the birds and the bees conversation. They had the sex talk and this wasn't in it. And so she doesn't have a box for this and she's not sure. But here's what I love about this story. She trusts God. She believes him. And I just have to wonder, is like, what is it about Mary? What does this say about her past faithfulness, her past belief, her past trust in God that she is willing to have this conversation, that she's willing to believe him, that she is willing to be like, okay, God. And so Mary, she asked the simple question, how can it be? How can this happen? Because I'm a virgin. And as I read through this and we start walking through the, the entire story of Mary, I don't think she's expressing doubt here. I think she just wants to know. Like, okay, how's this going to happen? What's going to go? What's going to go on? Because I am a virgin. As we see in the scriptures, there's two stories truly in the gospels that are really hard to believe. The virgin birth and the resurrection. And we see this throughout the text. We see people having a hard time believing these two things because we do not have a box to put those things in. These aren't things that typically happen. But here's the beautiful thing is God is a master 
at making the impossible possible. God is good. God is available. God is a master at making the impossible possible. And if we fast forward to verse 37, there's a line where Gabriel says, he says, the word of the Lord will never fail. I don't know if you guys know this, but this is a direct quote from the Septuagint. So the, the Greek translation of the, of the Old Testament, this is a direct quote from, from Genesis chapter 18, verse 14. When the angel of the Lord is letting, them know, letting Abraham know, yeah, you're old, so is Sarah, but she's going to have a kid because the word of the Lord will never fail. And so there's this faithfulness that Mary's had. And she's committed to, to him. So let's flip. Let's look about Joseph. So that's Mary. Let's look at Matthew 1. Matthew 1, verses 18 through 19. Here's what it says. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break off the engagement quietly. Now, as we read this, I think it's really significant for us to remember, we don't know, we know what Joseph doesn't know right? Like we've, we've read the story. We know what's happening. We know the kind of context of what's happening. Joseph doesn't know that. Joseph doesn't know that Mary and the angel have had this conversation. Joseph doesn't know what we know. And so as we go and we walk through this, all Joseph knows is you were not pregnant and then you went to Elizabeth and now you are and something seems a little weird. And can you just imagine the, the conversation? Like Joseph isn't stupid, like Joseph's parents had to talk with him too. And this was not included in the talk, right? And so can you just imagine, picture yourself what this conversation had to be like. When Mary decides to tell Joseph, hey, here's what's going on. I mean, you just, she picture, well, well, God told me. And that really sounds like a youth group pickup line when somebody's trying to date a girl. God told me we should date. Like already, like I can, can you just imagine trying to explain this? And she says, well, well it's, it's the Holy Spirit. And Joseph has to say, oh, is that what they call it in Elizabethtown? Because here we call it something different. And like, can you just imagine, just picture yourself in this conversation. Like how hard this had to be to believe. Regardless of the foundation that Joseph must have had, he is a righteous man. So he has this foundation of belief and trust in God. Regardless of that, nothing is preparing you for this moment. How are you, how would you respond if Joseph said this to you, or if Mary said this to you? If you have this conversation, just think about how you could respond. I have an idea how I would respond. And it probably wouldn't be exactly like, like Joseph. And so here's what Joseph has to do. He has to do something in order to prove his innocence in this because he is a righteous man. So in order to separate himself from this story, to, to, ever, to, to separate himself from this moment, he has to make some kind of public statement. So either A, he can, he can accuse her publicly and there can be this trial that could possibly lead to stoning. Or he could quietly give her a, a certificate of divorce and the witness of two people and kind of walk away from the situation. And Joseph chooses the second option because he's a good guy. He's a righteous man. And although that this is reasonable and it's kind, it's not God's will for them. So let's keep reading verse 20 through 23. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, 
Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so Joseph wakes up, and he does what the angel tells him to do. He has this dream, and and it moves him to do the correct thing. It moves him to do the thing that that God is desiring him for. And as we start thinking through this story, as we start thinking through this dream, like, I just have the question, like, how could Joseph have known? Like, this this was it. How could Joseph know that this wasn't just like this regular dream that he had because he really does love Mary and wants to spend his life with her, and so maybe that's mind playing tricks on him? Like, how does Joseph know for sure? that this is the Lord speaking to him? The answer is real simple. He doesn't, but he believes. He believes in God. He has this foundation of truth, that is this foundation of belief that he has had for this long period of time that, that he believes God. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, of course, if an angel showed up to me in a dream, someone showed up to me in a dream, I would automatically do what they said. But if we read through the scriptures, that's not exactly true, is it? Like we can see, uh, there's Sarah. So we talked about Sarah and Abraham earlier. And the angels, are, there's this messenger of God who's talking to Abraham. And like, they say, hey, you're going to have a kid. And Sarah, she immediately believes and like praises God, right? Is that what she does? No. What does she do? She laughs. She's like, yo, bro, my husband's old. I'm old. Not her exact quote, but like, exactly. That's kind of what happens. She's like, nope, not going to happen. She laughs. And then it says, is anything too difficult for God? That's, that's the response. Let's think about Moses for a minute. So Moses, not, he doesn't have a dream. He talks to a burning bush, right? This bush that's on fire, clearly this is the presence of God, says, take off your sandals, you're in holy ground. And so you would think that when we speak to a burning bush, we would basically do whatever the burning bush said. But Moses is like, oh no, God. I can't talk well. See, like I just started to stutter, right? Or he says, oh no, can, can you send someone else? Someone? And like, finally God is like, who made your mouth? I'm going to send you. And finally he's like, I guess I'm going to go. Like, think about Gideon. Look at Judges chapter six. He has this conversation with God and God is telling him, this is what I'm going to do. And Gideon's like, well, God, uh, okay, let, let, me just, let me just check here. Can you, uh, overnight, can you just make, I'm going to put out this fleece, and can you make the fleece wet and the ground dry? Then I'll know. So God's like, okay, and God does that. Then the next night Gideon's like, well, can you make the fleece dry and the ground wet? And then, like, this is what happens. If we look a little bit sooner, or if we look through Luke chapter 1, we see this with Zechariah as well. The same angel that shows up to Mary, Gabriel, shows up to Zechariah and is like, you're going to have a kid. And, and Zechariah is like, once again, I'm old, she's old, not happening. And like, so dreams don't always move people in this direction. And so we see with Joseph, like he had to have this deep-seated belief, this deep-seated trust that he believed that God was going to do what he said, that he trusted God in the midst of this moment. And he lets this move him to do the thing that he wanted to do. And since they have built their lives on God, they were available to be used by God. I think this is important. Second thing we see is there's availability, that they are willing to be used by God. They had built their lives on him, and they were willing to be used by him. 
I've heard it said it's easier for, for God to redirect you than to get you moving. And so, man, I just have this question. If you haven't, aren't being used by God, could it be, maybe, that you aren't walking in relationship with him? If you're not actually being used by God, is, could it be that you haven't built this foundation of faith with him? Because here's what we see with Mary and Joseph. They're going about their lives, and God begins to, to move them. He pushes them into another direction. He sends them to a different place that they, that they need to go. So let's keep reading their stories. Back to Luke chapter 1. Let's keep reading what happened in this conversation with the angel and Mary, starting in verse 35. So Mary asked, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby that will be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and now is in her sixth month. For the word of the Lord will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. Every, may everything you have said come true about me. Then the angel left her. Let's read Joseph's story in his Luke, or Matthew 1, 24 and 25. It says this, When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary to be his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until the, her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Man, it's incredible to me. As you read through these stories, God shows up. It's mind-blowing. It's amazing. They just, they just agree. They don't argue. They don't fight. They don't, wanna, they don't go through all these things. They just say, okay, God, you're in charge. And they trust him. And they do what he tells them to do. They're available to be used by God. What about you guys? When was the last time that you made yourself available to God? Truly. About two years ago, I shared this prayer with you, and I want to encourage you guys to, to pray this prayer. It's dangerous, but it, I think it's powerful. Here's the prayer. Lord, before you say a word, my answer is yes. This is what it looks like to be available to God. God, before you say a word, my answer is yes. You want me to give up my, my free time? Sure. You want me to give up this career path and this dream that I have for the sake of the gospel? Yes. You want, me to, you want me to walk into this situation? Yes. Before you say a word, the answer is yes. We see this. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. Joseph, it says, he got up and he did as he was told to do. I just want us to look at this statement again. Mary says this in verse 38. It's so beautiful. Anticipation building. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. We cannot read that. I cannot read that statement and not think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Fast forward to the end of Jesus' life. He's in the garden the night before he's about to die. And he's having these moments. He's having these, this intense time. He's disturbed. And he is praying, God, if there's any other way. But what does he say? Not my will, but yours be done. And we see the exact same thing with Mary. Mary is saying, I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you say. And Jesus is saying the same thing when he's in the garden. And so they're, they're obedient. They're, they do what God tells them to do. 
After everything that has been said, after everything that the angel has said, Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you say. Here's what I love about Mary. I love this part of the story is Mary, she doesn't ask God for proof. She asks for an explanation. She asked, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. And God says, he gives an explanation. And Mary's like, okay, I get that. She doesn't need the proof. She doesn't ask for, okay, can you show me? Can you give me a 10-point a step of how this is going to work? Show me everything. Like, give me a little bit of proof to see how this is going to go, and then maybe I'll do what you say. No, he, she asks for an explanation. God gives her an explanation, and then she says, all right, right on. Let's do it. I'm in. And I love that. And I just, I just wonder, like, what about us? When we are told to do the things that God tells us to do, like, are we looking, are we waiting for some proof of, okay, God, is this really what you want? If so, can you make this fleece wet? And like, like what, are, what are the proof? Or are we just saying, okay, God, you've told me to do this. I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know how it's going to go, but I am going to do what you have told me to do. So we're at, we're at this stage in, in, in our lives with, with Ava. She's in the, the why stage. And if you are a parent, even if you're not, you've probably had enough conversations with people that you understand when they, kids just start asking why for everything. And so Ava, like she'll, she'll tell her to do something, we'll tell her something, she'll be like, why, 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 why? And finally, once she gets a satisfactory answer, once she gets one that she understands, once she gets a logical response, she's like, okay, I'm good. And sometimes, like it gets a little annoying, I'm not gonna lie, and sometimes I'll just look at her and be like, you can just trust me. Or I'll tell her, hey, just believe me. It doesn't work, but I can tell her that. And here's what I love about Mary. Mary does not wait for the logical explanation. She does not wait for all the why questions to be answered. God says, theoretically says, you can believe me. You can trust me. And Mary says, okay. And she, she's in. She's obedient, obedient to what God wants from her. And so we see the same thing with Joseph. He's this man of, of deep obedience to God. Every time that we see Joseph pop up in Scripture, it's because it's, it's, he's being immediately obedient to God. Well, not, not every time. There's that one time that he leaves Jesus in the temple. Let's forget about that time. But every other time we see Joseph pop up in Scripture, it's, it's in relation to, to obedience. Let's just read a few of his, his stories here. Back to chapter 1. Matthew, verse 24, it says this. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. Later in Matthew 2, we talked about this last week when King Herod is sending uh, some people out to kill children. An angel of the Lord warns Joseph about what's coming. This is what it says in verse 14 of chapter 2. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child Mary and his mother. Then when, when Herod dies and it's safe to go back, an angel of the Lord shows up to Joseph again, and it says, So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. Not only is he obedient, he's immediately obedient to God. Catch this. When Joseph woke up, he did what he was told. That night, Joseph left. So Joseph got up. He is immediately obedient to what God tells him to do. And we see this in their story. And I just want you guys to, to think for just a minute. Think about like if, if, you're, if you're a parent or even if you're not, like this is other, people kid, other people's kids. I've never had to do this to my kids, but tell them to do something about 12 times before they listen. My, my, 
your kids, not mine. I've never had to do this, right? Um, and so, like, I don't know about you, but theoretically, if this happened to me, I'd be a little bit annoyed. I'd be like, when they finally do, after I've told them 20 times and I've pulled out what little hair I have left, when I, when I go through this and they finally do it, I'm not going to be like, thank you so much for being obedient. You are a great girl. Or, or theoretically, or, or boy, you know, or, of course. This is all theoretical. Never had to do this. But just think about this. Like, if there's partial obedience or incredibly delayed obedience, like, it's still disobedience. And so we see with Joseph, he does what God tells him to do immediately. And I just wonder, as I read through this story, is there an act of obedience that, you, that, you're, that you're delaying? Is there an act of obedience that you know you need to do, but you're, you're just you're putting it off? You're delaying. Maybe you need to, to forgive that family member, that coworker. And you know you need to do it. And you've just been delaying this obedience. You've been kicking down the can for kicking the can down the road for so long. Maybe you, you know that you need to invite that person over for dinner, invite them to church, but you've just been delaying that obedience, or, or you know that you need to have the hard conversation. But you are delaying that obedience. You know you need to pray for that enemy. But you're just delaying what God has told you to do. You know you need to love a vulnerable person, but you just you're delaying that. Learn from Joseph. Do what we are meant to do. Be a person of immediate obedience. Do the things that we are called to do. Live the way that God has called us to live. Don't delay the obedience that God has called us to. At the end of verse 25 of Joseph's story, chapter 1, we get this very interesting detail. It's just five words, but it's really significant. It says this, And Joseph named him Jesus. Maybe as we read that, we're just like, okay, sounds good. Like, that's not just a glass overstatement. That's just not a, a little, just a little filler so that you know that Joseph actually did. Like, this is really significant. First, I want us to look at Joseph, right? Notice it says, and Joseph named him Jesus. Not they, not we, but Joseph. Now, I did not name our girls. We collectively, Tiffany and I, named our children. Like, I used to have this weird desire to name one of our kids Waves, Super weird, I know, but I saw it on a billboard one time and I was like, that's a cool name. And I held really tight to that for a while. It's probably one of the reasons why I wasn't given the, the chance to name our kids by myself. Uh, but, but like Joseph names, the, Joseph names the kid. So why is that? What is that? Here's what we find out in the Palestinian culture that, that they would have lived in. In Palestine, when a, when, a, when a man named a child that wasn't his is an act of adoption. And so Joseph, when he names Jesus, he is adopting Jesus into his family. And so it's showing us a little bit. This is the role that Joseph is going to play as the, as the dad of, of Jesus' life. But there's something so much more than that. Is Joseph, he has no direct parental role. But when G Joseph adopts Jesus into his family, he's adopting him into the, to, into the line of David. He is the, he's adopting him into the descendancy of David. And that's really significant because we see this play out through the scriptures. And this is what Joseph is doing. He is adopting him. He's moving him into the line of David. And so not only does he do the naming, but he names them what the angel tells him to name them. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, he says this, You are to call him Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. I think this is important for us is the name Jesus isn't just what he will be called, but also what he will do. 
the name Jesus isn't just what he, what he was going to be called, but also what he would do. So the name Jesus, it comes from the, from the Hebrew word Yeshua, translated for us Joshua, meaning the Lord saves. And so when we start to read about the story of Jesus, what we find is the Lord saves and he rescues. Not only does he rescue, he's not coming to rescue them politically. He is coming to rescue them from the tyranny of sin, from the, 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 the enemy that has yet to be defeated. Jesus is coming and he is rescuing them. And so 150 times in Matthew's gospel, he writes the personal name, Jesus, every single time as a reminder about what Jesus is coming to do. He is coming to do battle with the enemy. He is going to put an end to the reign of, of darkness. He is going to defeat the undefeatable, undefeated enemy of sin and death. He is going to, he's going to win. He's going to defeat that. And so as we continue to walk through Mary and Joseph's story, like we've seen that they, there's this foundation of trust. They're available. That they, they are people of obedience. But I think if we were going to use one word to describe Mary and Joseph, if we were going to capture them in one word, I think it would be the word surrender. Because I think that's the word that captures their story. I think that's the word that captures their lives. And in fact, that's the word, I think, that capture, should capture the life of a follower of Jesus. It's this word, surrender. Like as we read through their story, it's not hard to see the way that, it's not hard to imagine the way their lives were diverted. It's not hard to, to see what they had given up. And this week, I, I was reading an article called Things That You Give Up As a New Parent. And, and, and as I was reading this article, it was kind of funny to, to be reminded of some of these things. If, you're, if you are a parent, you kind of know these. Um, number one is the obvious one, sleep. Is it something you're going to give up as a, as a new parent? Number two, it just seriously made me laugh, spontaneity. And as I read that, I'm like, yep, you, once you have a kid, you are not going anywhere fast, ever. You, you have to bring like 42 like things for a nappy bag and then some, like it's, it's insane. You're, you, there's no like, hey, do you want to go, go here real quick? Nope. Give me like an hour. Uh, another one was a uh, toilet privacy. And this one really resonated with me a couple of weeks ago. I was trying to go to the toilet and I'm shutting the door. And as I am, Ava is like sticking her arm in the door. It's like, dad, I'm crying to come in. I was like, yes, honey, I know. That's why I'm shutting the door. And it's like, it's the thing you got to give up. Another thing is a clean house. Meaningful conversation. This is the one that hit me deep in my soul. Free time to do nothing. These are things we got to give up, right? And it is not hard at all. Man, it's not hard at all to imagine the way Mary and Joseph's lives had to change. Like, I just think about this. Like, just think about the, the dreams and the hopes that they had to have had. Like, they're engaged to be married. They're ready to have this, this wedding ceremony. And on a very basic level, Mary might have been excited for, you know, the, to drink some wine at the wedding. Nope, not happening now. You're pregnant. Or, or maybe she was excited about, you know, fitting into this wedding dress that she's already built or bought. Nope, not anymore. Like, maybe those are simple things, but just think about, like, maybe some of the dreams that they had to have. Maybe, I mean, maybe they wanted to go set up shop and do a carpenter shop somewhere else. Maybe they wanted to travel. Maybe they wanted to see the world. Maybe when they were dating, they were kind of talking about, okay, we'll have a dog by two years, kid by five, not kid before we get, like, like just think about the dreams and the hopes and the plans that they may have had. And then Jesus and God shows up and their lives are diverted. And they just say, yes. You say, okay. Okay, God. The dreams and, and the plans and the hopes that they may have had, they're, they're changed. 
But just think about Mary for just a second. Mary is there holding Jesus when he takes his first breath. He gets to see, well, probably not holding him there, but like in the process, like he sees Jesus' first breath. She's also watching as a, different, as a distance as Mary sees Jesus' last breath. It's probably not in the cards, probably wasn't the plan that she had. And like, you just have to, you just have to hear the whispers every single where, place they go. Like, was Joseph is walking in the market with Jesus. It's like, I heard it's not his. I heard it's somebody else. Can you believe that? He's adopted. Or, or Mary's walking around in there, the whispers behind her back. She says it's from the Holy Spirit. <sighs> like, just, just picture like the way that their lives had to change and everything that has changed in their lives. We see they. As we look through the story, we see that they've moved to, to Bethlehem. They've probably set up camp there. That's where the angel shows up to say, you've got to go. And it's been a couple of years that they've been there. Maybe they've bought their own house. Maybe they've had this home. Like, why have they set up camp in Jerusalem? Or Bethlehem, sorry. Why have they set up camp there? It's probably more comfortable than returning to Nazareth to hearing the whispers, to, to hearing people talk about and the child being scorned for this apparent fornication. Like, like they've, life has just been different for them. And it's been hard. And, but they are willing to give up everything. They surrender everything in order to follow Jesus, in order to do the thing that, that Jesus and God has called them to. There's this incredible quote from a person called Abraham Kuyper. And here's what he says, and I just want to make sure we hear this. He says, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is supreme over all, doesn't cry, mine. There is not a single part of our lives, there's not a single part of anything in the world that, that Jesus doesn't say, hey, that's mine. I have authority over that. And so what we see is that following God's call for our lives, it's an everyday decision. It's a decision to surrender every single time. This is what following Jesus is. We see this play out in Mary and Joseph. And I have to wonder, I have to wonder if there are ever days you're like, man, this would have been a whole lot easier if I just said no thanks. Not sure it would have worked, but maybe they wonder. Maybe Mary wishes she would have said, I'm not the Lord's servant. Maybe she wishes she would have said like, uh, can you pick someone else? Please? But they do it anyway. They do the thing that God is called to do because it is an every single day decision to follow the way of Jesus, to live the life that we are called to live, to be the follower of Christ that we are is an every single day decision. It's an every single moment decision where we say no to ourselves and yes to what he wants for us. And if we flip to 1 Corinthians chapter 15... 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is having this incredible dialogue about the resurrection of Jesus. He's having this incredible dialogue about the importance of, of this resurrection. And in verse 31, Paul, Paul makes this statement. He says this, he says, For I swear, dear brothers and sisters, that I face death daily. This is a certain as my pride in what Christ Jesus our Lord has done for you. Catch this once again, I face death daily daily. I die daily. And Paul is saying, it's worth it. To be a follower of Jesus, this is what we do, is, is we face death every single day. We die to ourselves every single day. And we follow after him. And we live for him above everything else. So friends, this is, this is a story. It's a story of surrender. 
It's a story of doing what God has called us to do, even if it doesn't make a lot of sense. So it's my prayer today that it becomes our story, that we are people who are willing to surrender our hopes, our dreams, our plans, surrender our very lives to the Lordship of Jesus. Because although Mary and Joseph maybe would have looked back and said this would have been a lot easier if we didn't, I'm willing to bet that both of them would say it was worth it. That they do it again. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for Jesus. And God, we're just grateful for the way that he was willing to give up, give up the heaven to come to earth for us. God, we thank you for people in the scriptures like Mary and Joseph, people who who are just obedient to you, who do what you call them to do, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's difficult, even when it doesn't seem like it would have been the, the right thing or the easy thing, they're willing to do it anyway. And God, we're grateful for that. And Father, I just pray that you help us to be people of, of great obedience. You help us to be people of surrender, who are willing to surrender our hopes, our dreams, whatever it may be. We surrender them to you because you are Lord and you are King and you are worth it. So God, help us to live a life of obedience. Help us to live a life that, that glorifies you and shows people what you're like. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray.